Welcome back to the Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. The idea for this episode came from a listener who wanted to hear from a guest who was more like him, with a wife and a family and kids and responsibility and a lack of time to write and sort of a lack of money to market uh, his book. So many of the guests we have on the show have already achieved a certain level of success, and there can be a sense that these people had opportunities that others might not have because they might not have had kids or they might not be married. They might just have all the time in the world. So the first name that came to mind when I read that request was today's guest, Justin Sloan. He spent five years as a Marine and has a master's degree in creative writing from John Hopkins. He also has a wife, a job, and a young family. His background includes screenwriting, his current job as a video game writer, of all things, and a writing catalog that we'll describe as (laughs) varied, including books in genres like epic fantasy, urban fantasy, post-apocalyptic vampire-type things, and, of course, a series for middle-grade kids. He's also a podcaster as a co-host of the Creative Writing Career Show. In today's show, Justin and I discuss how he carves out the time to write and manage his author business, the advice he got from author Michael Scott Earle that took his monthly sales from a couple hundred dollars a month to over a thousand dollars, and the writing collaboration he's doing with author Michael Anderley that has taken his author business to new levels of success. Of course, we'll get into plenty of the nitty-gritty details, things like launch strategy, the value of a great cover, the 18-day sales cliff, bootstrapping ideas, and the importance of a supportive spouse. Before we get to today's show, I want to do a little bit of cross-promotion. One of the suggestions that I got uh, in the slew of suggestions over the past few week of show ideas, and I thank you all so much for sending those in, was an idea to do a few shows on craft. And well, you know, there are shows about craft. This is a show about the business of writing. We don't do that. But this reader or listener did not know that I that I do a show on craft with uh, my podcasting partner, Taylor Stevens. That show is called The Taylor Stevens Show. It is as different from this show as it could possibly be. Uh, We've only had a guest one time in in nearly 100 episodes. It's just Taylor and I, for the most part, talking about writing. Uh, Taylor is a New York Times bestselling author. She is traditionally published. She has this incredible background where her formal education stopped in the sixth grade, and she taught herself to write, and she's got... She's got all these things she calls writing hacks, and, and we talk about a lot, of, a lot of the things that she did to teach herself to become – Taylor is I, – I always refer to her as my favorite living author, which is absolutely correct. I love Taylor's writing. It is uh, – it, it just – it's special. And so that's, that's what we do on the Taylor Stevens Show that you can find at taylorstevensshow.com. We talk about the craft of writing. We get into the details. Sometimes we'll take material that comes from the listener audience, and Taylor will just break it down, you know, how it could be improved, uh, what's great about it, what, what could be slightly better, things like that. It, it's a fun show. We have a great time doing it because it's just the two of us, and we're just talking 
And the people that listen to the show seem to like it. If you haven't tried it yet and you're interested in a show on the craft of writing, give it a try. Again, that's taylorstephenshow.com. I know there are a lot of people that listen to both shows, and a person that does listen to both shows said, hey, you need to cross-promote more. So that's me. That's what I'm doing right here, cross-promoting. Okay, so let's get this one started. My first question to Justin was, what's one thing you've done in your writing career that's been most important in the growth of your business? I'd say it's probably keeping my mind open to other opportunities. And and by that, I mean, I didn't just do the book stuff, you know. I've tried doing the screenwriting and the video game writing. And I feel like a lot of that has led to new opportunities, uh, money-making opportunities in their own, like writing video games. But also, when I talk to people like Michael Anderle and others who I want to partner with, I think that having collaborated on video games and in other avenues, uh, having done some screenwriting that changes how I write books – and all that has definitely led them to say, oh, wait, this guy has done this collaborative work before. He's worked on big IPs like Game of Thrones and whatnot. And so if we want to bring him into our world, it's going to be a little easier. I think that's definitely helped a lot. All right. You're the, you're the first person I've ever talked to, to the best of my knowledge, that has written for video games. And that just seems <laughs> like – I don't know. Is, is that in any way similar to writing novels? Um, Somewhat. It's more similar to writing screenplays okay. in the sense that it's very terse on the, the action parts, the narrative. Uh, and then, you know, you don't want to be too flowery. It's more about helping the artists and the other people understand what's supposed to happen versus, you know, prose in a book is supposed to help your mind really get into the character and get into the setting and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, but there's, of course, this, the similarities, which are you're writing dialogue and you're writing, you're coming up with character bios and character arcs for the story and all that stuff. So it's a very similar process, but I don't find that if I write video games all day, my brain is too shot to write novels at night, which is nice. Okay, and a little bit of background on you, and this this I got from your bio on on your website. You studied writing at John Hopkins, and you you took some classes at the UCLA School of Theater, Film and Television, Programming, and Screenwriting. So uh, you, you've got a, a diverse background for a novelist. Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's one of my. St- goals kind of setting out too is like i didn't want to just try to copy what everybody tells me i should do right like <laughs> i did a master's at johns hopkins for creative writing and it's mm-hmm. a very literary program mm-hmm. so they're like you got to go get published in these short stories and submit over and over and over and over and over and over again <laughs> and write a certain way and i don't know i tried it for a little bit and it just didn't feel natural right it's just like why do i have to try to reach success in the exact same way that that person did when i can try to reach it some other way that's interesting because I mean, anybody that, that self-publishes probably gets this sense of superiority from people that have your ba- – or from people that have your background where you know, you've, you've got the master's degree in writing and you – there is this idea of the career trajectory that is completely different in the indie world. Did, do you ever – did you get pushback from your colleagues at school? Uh yeah, so so actually the first time I applied, I didn't even get into the program because I had used a fantasy sample that was now now is my Land of Gods book, uh-huh. and um, they didn't like that. And then uh, <laughs> so talking along the way, like trying to figure it out and reapplying and all that, um, a lot of people told me basically do what they want now, and then when you're done, you can go do whatever else you want, which is kind of like the same thing you learn in writing, right? Like study the rules so that you can go break the rules later on. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's been this similar process where – now, sometimes if I talk to my old professors, I kind of don't want to bring up what my books are about, <laughs> you know, because they'll be like, what, that stuff? Yeah, we That's did not, not teach literary. you to do that. 
Yeah. But you know what's funny is if you look at literary books, like our genres are like, okay, vampires or magic. Literary genre is pretty much sex and drugs, you know? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of work down to that, doesn't it? A lot of those books are. Like if you look at uh, T.C. Boyle, or is that the right name? And a bunch of these people who are like the big literary guys nowadays, like every one of their books is just like dealing with – grief or parents who abused you or i'm doing too many drugs or oh another weird sexual experience it's like oh okay okay i get it (laughs) (laughs) and you get all the credit for that and we don't if we put it in our vampire books yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well the the genesis for this show came from a listener of the author biz who wrote in one day and i i apologize if you're out there listening i i looked for the message and i couldn't find it there's so many different ways of contacting the show i just couldn't find it so i don't remember exactly who uh, who said this so if you if you're out there listening ping me and let me know I'll, I'll put it in the show notes but somebody wrote in and said i love hearing these stories about people that are super successful but they're nothing like me i i am married i've got kids I've I've got a job. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. Um, I you know can you find guests that are like that? And the first thing that came to mind was a lot of the people that I've had on the show that are super successful have been in the same position, um, but they're not anymore because of something that they they've done either either good fortune or tremendous hard work or or whatever. And you're sort of in the process of becoming that guy now. You are a family man. Mm-hmm. You've got two children. Um, you are working. You were originally your goal, I think, was to be a full time author, which you achieved. And then a, a, a great opportunity came up. And so you're now working and authoring again. <laughs> but let's talk to that to that guy and those people out there, the, the guys and gals out there that are dealing with families and and just the overhead of living life. How do you how do you carve out the time? How do you carve out the money to build an author business? Yeah, yeah. And I'll take a step back and say it's funny how this stuff works. Me and my brother-in-law were chatting about this the other day. Like, you always seem to hit your lows right before you start getting that big high. You know, it's like, just like a screenwriting structure. Like, you have to have the dark moment of the soul where you're at your depth <laughs> and your bottom of it all and you're struggling. So, so going way back, that's kind of why I started writing. Was not so much on the financial side, but it was just I was having all these pain. I was hitting a hip. I have this hip problem left over from the Marines, I think, mm-hmm. that I'd like walk on a cane for two weeks. And I'm like oh. 28 at the time. And I'm like, what the hell is this? This doesn't make sense. And <laughs> so at one point I'm like sitting there thinking, I'm like, what if I'm, what if I can never walk again or something like that happens? You know, I don't know what this is. The doctors took like two years to try to figure it out. And, um, so I was having these thoughts and that, that kind of was one of the beginning processes of what led me to me starting to write. Cause I was like, well, if I just have to sit around all day, not doing anything, I want to be doing something awesome. Okay. And time. you said you were 28. So how long ago was this? Uh, I'm 36 now. Okay. So, so eight years ago, roughly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that, that was that. And then go forward a few years, um, uh, cause that was just like writing for fun and checking it out, you know, and I mm-hmm. fell in love with it and it was amazing, but, but I was still kind of at the point where I was thinking I could have a two track lifestyle. And so I had, I'd done a master's in, uh, international relations and economics at first and went off and did government work and federal reserve work and all this stuff. And, and we were getting paid okay, but the thing is, you know, we live in the Bay Area. Um, we have two kids. Daycare on its own is like three thousand a month. Oh my! Uh, we gosh. have student loans. Yeah, <laughs> rent's, rent's three thousand. Daycare's three thousand. Oh student gosh. loans for each of us is a thousand each, you know, oh. per month. So we're we're looking at some big expenses, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> right off the bat. And then, and then there's just life. And uh, my wife has a bunch of family visiting all the time. From she's from Kyrgyzstan, mm-hmm. um, so they're they're always coming and visiting us because they want to see their grandkids. And 
and and we're not the kind of we don't spoil. I guess we kind of spoil our kids. <laughs> so anyway, point being, we were kind of getting to this level where uh, where our credit cards were totally maxed out, and I mean like five or six credit cards with pretty good limits, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And then and then you got to pay rent, and and so I think we had to borrow money to pay rent one time or a couple times, and then we, you know, we we're at Starbucks hoping to buy a coffee and. Uh, our credit cards got denied like the first last three times we tried it and we're just Ouch. like oh come on or my daughter's sitting there now that was the big one my daughter's standing next to me and she wants this lollipop and i'm like oh come on credit card come on credit card <laughs> <laughs> you know so there's definitely like those those moments where you're just like oh my god and like for months on end both me and my wife are like how are we going to get past this we we just don't know uh and i think those lead to these good kind of desperation moments where mm-hmm. um I started reaching out and I'd done a bunch of collaboration already with people thinking like 2016 was my year of collaboration where I'm like, I'm going to try to see how I can get to the next level by working with other people. Mm-hmm. And an opportunity came up where I heard Michael Anderley was kind of open to it. So I reached out to him and said, Hey, I've done, you know, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead. Uh, I'm writing vampires and werewolves on my own fiction stuff right now. Uh, I know you do some of that. Oh, and the military angle, I was in the Marines, you know, all these connections. And I'm like, this seems like a perfect fit. And he agreed. And, and brought me on board. And so that was kind of the defining moment that changed it all. But but going back to your question about, like, the meantime, I could definitely talk more about, like, figuring out covers, figuring out how to do all these. You know, like, we, we took out – I don't advise this. <laughs> but we took out $5,000 from my uh, Roth IRA from work mm-hmm. because we were just like, we got we to gotta double down because some people were giving me good advice. Um, Michael Scott Earl, he hates when I give advice to people, I think, because – I don't want to give away all the secrets, you know, but uh, <laughs> basically he helped me get to the point where I was, uh, instead of making like a hundred or two a month from writing, he helped me get to the thousand or so a month from okay. writing. Okay, well, let's stop here let's, because yeah. there are a lot of people out there that are in the hundred dollar a month or so from writing standpoint and they're going, okay, what did he do? So let's, let's take yes. that, let's take a couple of minutes and, and just unpack that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so before that I was doing the thing where you just write another book, right? right. Everybody says write another book. Mm-hmm. I say that advice sucks. I think that advice is awesome if you're lucky and people just find your books and they buy them and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's only really good advice up to a point. And then you got to sit back and think, okay, now how do I market the hell out of these? Or how do I get to that next level of this, right? Um, or when you're publishing with somebody like Michael Anderley and the books are just selling, then it really makes sense to get that next book out there and stop wasting your time on everything else. Yeah, but, but, but previous but, to that, you were just a guy out that. there writing books. Yeah, so previous to that, it's... it's you know, I think I had like 30 books at that point <laughs> already done. And a lot of them, some of them were kids books, you know, or mm-hmm. middle grade. So it's a little bit different because those are harder to market. But but what Michael Scott Earl helped me figure out was, hey, these are the books you need to be focusing on, which were my fantasy ones at the time. And you need to be doing, uh, you know, all these different marketing platforms that are out there, like Book Barbarian, Free Booksy, uh, ENT, what's that, E-Reader News Today, I think. Um uh, all the other ones, BookBub, if you can, of course, but mm-hmm. you know that's competitive, right? And uh, and then just do that every month. So what I started doing is I started taking the first book of my fantasy series, Land of Gods, and putting that for free for two days January, two days February, one day March, and then just promoting the hell out of those with uh, going on to these the websites I just mentioned, like FreeBooksy and whatnot, and and just doing like the one or two days, and then emailing other authors and saying, hey, can you share this on your newsletter? And, and so that was basically all it took to get to that thousand a month mark. And, and how much how much does that simple. cost you to do that? Because those those are not super expensive marketing platforms, right? Yeah. So like the first time, I think it was like I think a good amount is a hundred fifty, two hundred fifty, somewhere in that range. Okay. 
And then, so you were like, spending one hundred and fifty to two hundred fifty dollars a month with mm-hmm. this pretty basic marketing plan, and you yeah. went from a couple hundred to to four figures a month. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes that was higher. I mean, like at most it was two thousand a month, but you know, mm-hmm. it was like it, it would range between there, depending on what I was trying and whatnot. And uh, I think at most one time I spent five hundred in a month. We tried some of these services that are out there that are more expensive. Like there's one that's three hundred that a lot of people listening probably know what I'm talking about. I don't know if I want to like. Because I'm going to say negative things about it, and I don't want to name it, but a lot of people know what I'm talking about. And <laughs> it's 300 bucks, and we tried that. It did like zilch. Um, they also have a service that's like $100, and we tried that, and it did basically zilch. Mm-hmm. And so there's some of these that I'm just kind of like uh, getting burned out on, right? And so I ended up just kind of pulling back and focusing on the main ones that everybody knows is are great, right? Like uh, like the ones I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, free free booksy, uh, book barbarian. Uh, oh, what is that? OMBT, OHBT, something like that. There's all these weird ones, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Book sends and whatnot. And, um, yeah, just kind of refocusing. And that definitely, uh, kept me at that thousand or so a month range. And, and this is, this is for a series that had how many books? That was three books. Okay. All right. Just three. So um, you had, so it, you would take the first book, make it free for a couple days, do a lot of marketing, and then just you would expect to have the read through and that you just kept rinse and repeat essentially. Yeah. Oh, and I just remembered. So one other reason why, like I was spending a lot of money sometimes and then it wasn't as big of a payoff is because I was also trying that with my other series. Like I have a middle grade fan, urban fantasy series, mm-hmm. uh, Alice Drama and the Ring of Solomon. And I would try that and that would get returns, but not in the same way because those are shorter books. So the KU, the unlimited page reads wouldn't come back as high. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're middle grade. They just it's harder to sell those because it's, you know, older people usually looking and a lot of older people love those books, but just not to the same degree, same numbers of people who would love the fantasy books. Um, so and that was, I would try the exact same thing and get maybe half the results. Okay. And did you do anything else? Did you recover the books or anything while you were going through this process of going from a oh, couple yeah. hundred dollars to a couple thousand? Yeah, you're smart. You're, you're smart. I, f- I forgot that step. So that was one of the early steps. Um, I think that was even before Michael Scott Earl started mentoring me. This was Kevin. So I had my self-publishing answers podcast with uh, Kevin Tumlinson and Nick Thacker. Mm-hmm. And we went to this writing conference out in Texas, um, Pleasanton, Texas, cool little spot, and had some great barbecue. But the, the main takeaway there was <laughs> my covers were horrible. Um, <laughs> at the time, you know, we're bootstrapping, right? So we're talking about, like, how do you make it when there's all these – things going on and you don't know if you're going to make money on it. So do you really want to spend money on it? And, and the answer is yes, you do. <laughs> but at the time I started off thinking I can build a newsletter and start getting some reviews and then worry about the covers later. Uh, so I had done the, basically the Fiverr thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of them wasn't so bad. Oh, I had actually worked with some cover artists from the Philippines where it was like, paying like 50 to $70 a cover. So mm-hmm. I tried some of those, but they just decided I hated it. Uh, they, I don't know. You know, they, I didn't feel like they represented me. And actually what I got on Fiverr, I liked more than that, mm-hmm. which is funny because that's like five or 10 bucks, right? But it was still embarrassing. It's still not up to the the level that you need it to be. I, I, even though I built a newsletter of like 2,000 people with those crappy covers. So I, I achieved my goal, but no, those are always going to be on Goodreads. And <laughs> and it's not going to help you sell as much. Right. So that was one of their big things was get a good cover artist. So I went to 99designs and did not do a contest because I had tried those before and not enjoyed that process and okay. not found anything good, mm-hmm. uh, which we can go on more if you're, nope. people are interested. But yeah. uh, 
yeah, what I did is I reached out. I, I looked at all the covers that I thought were good from previous contests or just previous working together. And, mm-hmm. and you can hire those exact same artists to do what you want and not have to worry about the contest. You just say, hey, how much? And they usually charge about the same as the contest would go for, like 300 or 330 mm-hmm. And uh, got this guy, Pag- Paganus, uh, who's awesome. And he, he redid all my covers. And then uh, that definitely made a difference, too, that and the promotions of them. And – so if you're paying three hundred dollars a cover and you go from two hundred to a thousand, the payback's essentially like five weeks for the covers, then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've definitely like I don't know the exact numbers, but since redoing the covers, I've definitely made well over the money back on them. So that's been a, a life lesson for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I since I have been since I've known you and been following your books, your covers are always great. So I th- I think I missed the terrible covers back in the day. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm kind of yeah, glad about that. It's basically it was. It was before I got really involved with everybody. I think the moment I redid my covers was when I found the 20 Books group, 20 Books to 50K Facebook group, mm-hmm. and uh, started talking to people. Because I remember right around then is when I shared those covers and then got in touch with Michael Scott Earl and all that. And, and that's a different thing, too, is like covers really represent – they're kind of your resume, right? They're your yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, because like that's what people resume. are going to judge you on. Yeah, they're not going to read your book. Most people are too dang busy mm-hmm. to read your book. So <laughs> if they look at that cover and they're like, "Oh, that looks like the same quality as my cover. It's awesome," or "That looks really amazing. How do I get to your level of awesomeness?" Even if you're at the same level of writing, mm-hmm. if you have a way better cover, a lot of people are going to assume that you're at this professional level. And and so so not only was it part of the author part, like if I want to be friends with people like like the Michaels, there's so many Michaels, and you know, I, I my wife gets mad at me because there's always like 20 Michaels I'm talking about. I have to call them all by their last names now. <laughs> but if you want them to be like on the same level and talking with you like an equal, you can't have this $5 cover that looks horrible because they're going to assume you're some hack who's just trying to like get by with nothing or scam the system or something, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's not professional. Or on the same token, I was thinking, oh, maybe I want to work for Disney or Pixar someday. Well, if, if that's the case, I want to have like these middle grade books, like the Ali Strong books that look professional and that are, you know, in some ways, at least if they open and read a few of the pages, it, it reads like a Harry Potter book. Uh, it looks like a Harry Potter book or better. You know, all, all these things are, are part of your lifelong uh, image, right? And so you got to make sure that everything represents you and that you're putting your best foot forward. That is a really good point, especially for someone who, who has diverse career goals. If you, if you tell someone, if you're writing video games or you're writing movies and you say, oh, by the way, I write books, it's just human nature to go and look at the covers. I do that all the time when I'll meet someone and they say, oh, I, I wrote a book and I, I will always look it up. And 95% of the time, I don't go any further than looking at the cover. And it's a really quick, I don't know, nanosecond decision where you go, ah, that person's not serious about what they're doing. Yeah, or they exactly. are, or th- that person, you know, they're they're spending some money. They're they're actually doing this. Exactly, exactly. And and I know now that some of the reason this company uh, reached out to me, uh, well, there's a bunch of them, but one of the reasons was that my kind of sci-fi thing has taken off lately. Like I've been, I think I was at one point nineteen on the sci-fi lists under eBooks, right? So they mm-hmm. do the author ranking beta thing now, right? I think right now I'm like fifty something like that. But you know, it's like that's really cool. And and for that to be happening, a, a lot of people. In the biz, but also especially outside of the biz, they see that and they're like, holy crap, this this person is somebody serious. And <laughs> yeah. and then they take you serious. So they're looking at like my sci-fi and my fantasy and all that and thought that was a good fit. So it all you never know what kind of opportunities it's gonna raise. Like when I, I tell this story a lot, like when I first got into video games, I didn't have any really aspirations to get into video games. It just kinda happened. 
Uh, and it kind of happened because I was setting myself up in all these different ways with like the covers and all these mm-hmm. professional, you know, screenwriting samples and all that. That's um, fascinating. Yeah. All right, let's <laughs> let's go back in time a little bit. And you're starting to spend money. You're well, you're deeply in debt with credit card debt. Uh, you and your wife have to be feeling the pinch. Your your daughter wants a lollipop at Starbucks, and you can't Is this buy. Is make for- me cry? Is that what's going on here? I'm, I'm making the audience <laughs> cry, not you, Justin. <laughs> okay, um, but um, this is going on, and then you decide the way I need to get out of this is to borrow money from my IRA or my retirement plan and spend it on stuff like covers and marketing. What was that discussion like with your wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she's she's really supportive. Um, I think that actually happened a little bit later. I think that was more like when we started to see the success. Like okay. We were seeing the all right. So you were seeing some. Okay. Yeah. And so that's when we took out the money because I don't think it's smart to just go all in with all your credit cards and everything when you're not sure if there will be paybacks yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely recommend getting the best coverage you can, you know, and all that. But okay. But still, even at that point, you're you're not you're two hundred dollars a month. Uh, your wife could be looking at you like, dude, you've written. 20 books, 30 books, and you're making $200 yeah. a month, I, you know, we're better off just going out to dinner and, and um, not not spending the time because it takes a lot of time to write a book, obviously. Uh, but yeah. she didn't. She's like, okay, yeah, recover the books. Okay, spend a little bit of money on marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's been super supportive. And, I, and I'll say, too, like we did our taxes just mm-hmm. recently. And last year, I only or that year, uh, I only made, uh, yeah, that last year. So this year is way different, which is exciting. But last year, I only made $5,000 from the books. And um and and uh, spent seventeen thousand <laughs> on like Good writing conferences and grief. stuff. So that was wow. a crappy year. Uh-huh. And then like this, just the first month of this year, like you know, did way 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 better than that. So <laughs> okay, so well, let, let's talk a little bit about the partnership things because you brought it up, and and it's obviously been a big benefit to you. Um, you have I've I've seen just looking at your Amazon account, you've written. You've written a lot of partnership type things, but the but the one with Michael Anderley and writing in the Cretharian world seems to be the most beneficial to you. Has that yeah. trickled down to your other uh, your other series? Have the have the readers that are reading you there found your other books? Um, somewhat, yeah. Um, and, and there's been other ones that have done like nicely, like uh, PT and I did a kids book that actually got picked up in France, and that's been pretty cool. Okay. It's like a subpress of Hachette, and then they they did, they're doing a print run on it, and so I'm curious like if that will uh, spill over to other books, and then I think that might have started with some other stuff like uh, putting books on Babel Cube that puts them out there on international markets, which barely pay at all, but well, maybe that's that, how they discovered this one. Uh, go, go into more detail about that. Babel Cube is basically like ACX, you know, uh, the Amazon audiobook thing where you can mm-hmm. put your book up there and people can audition to narrate it. Babel Cube is the same idea, but they audition to translate it. And so okay. then All right. they'll translate your book into French or Italian or whatever. Um, and I did a few of those for my kids' books because I thought, well, the kids' books aren't really selling that great. Why don't I try this? And maybe they'll pick up in foreign markets. And that's happened with two. The Ali Strom has been picked up in Turkey and then the these ones have been the uh, the the unofficial Minecraft books have been picked up in uh, French speaking countries. And when so. when those are picked up, is is that a publishing company that's buying those rights from you? Yeah, they're buying those rights for just that specific country or those uh, like language speaking countries. Yeah. Okay. And are you dealing with them on your own, or did you have an agent? Just on my own. Okay. Uh, I thought about doing the agent thing, but I just don't like how long all that stuff takes. We're like, <laughs> we want a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, here, we'll give you $8,000. And we're like, uh, okay, sounds good. Um, 
Because <laughs> <laughs> if we went to an agent, maybe they would negotiate more and then those company would back out because they don't want to pay more and then they just didn't want to deal with us or I don't know. You know, it might have been smarter to go the other way, but we we're just kind of like, you know what? We'll figure it out later in life. We'll be successful later and it won't matter if we make mediocre decisions right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. You don't you just have to make the decision and move on. If, you, if you're paralyzed by making decisions, you never accomplish anything. You can always change course. Yeah, yeah. Listen, listen. Life lesson right there. So to answer your question, a lot of my books have started to see uh, the also bots, which is for people who don't know the part in your book where underneath it says people who like this book also bought these books. Mine are quite filled up now with Michael Anderley books. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like so a lot of my readers are people who've mostly bought Carthurian Gambit universe books or others related to that like michael scott earl has some good sci-fi ones jay cipriano has some good urban fantasy ones that relay and so i have these people who are all kind of in the same network mm-hmm. who are showing up as all the people who are buying my book or their readers are showing up as all the people who are buying my books and so it's obviously working uh it hasn't trickled down to a big extent like where it's life changing on that regard like mm-hmm. the the Anderley books are definitely life changing but that hasn't changed my books percent profits so much. What it's basically done is I'm not paying for all those uh, advertisements that I used to, and I'm still getting the same level of income from them. Okay. So it's basically oh. just meant that I don't have to pay for the ads yeah. anymore. Well, so that, that's <laughs> significant then. And I want to get yeah. to something else because you're sort of taking the model that, that you found your way into with Michael Anderley and, and doing it yourself in another series. I want to get to that um, near the end of the interview. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about I mean, you're, you're, you have a wife, you have two children, you have a job, and yeah. you publish a lot of books. When, mm-hmm. do, you, when do you write, and, and how do you get your family to honor writing time? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to go back to that. I remember you asked that earlier in the interview, and I was like, oh, how do I weave back to that? So I make sure we answer it, but uh, good thing you did. <laughs> uh, so, so basically, it's tough. Everybody knows it's tough, right? Like the two kids, um, I'm, I'm usually the one who's more of like the uh, – the attentive parent, I guess, like I'm the one who wakes up early in the morning when the kids wake up and play with them mm-hmm. and all that and uh, help put them to bed and all and that. And your kids and, are what age? You and I talked before, but I, I don't yeah. think we got it into the show. Your kids are what age? Two and a half and four and a half now. Okay. So basically when I was getting serious about writing was when my baby, for, second baby was born. So, the, you know, it's, it's tough, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So the answer that I've come up with, um, originally I tried different things, you know, like I would try to write I'd try to wake up at four in the morning and write, but then the kid starts waking up at four in the morning or five thirty or four thirty-five or you never know when, right? Is mm-hmm. the point. Like they'll just wake up randomly and it's so hard to get in the zone when that's happening. So then I try night times. I'm really horrible at writing at night. Uh, but you kinda have to sometimes. Uh so I've I've tried many things. <laughs> what I what I currently do or what I've found to work the best is to not worry about trying to get in the zone, but just do writing sprints, you know? Like if I have twenty minutes to pick up my computer and just write. Like, don't spend time thinking about it, uh, but rewind a little bit before that and try to get some good outlining and, like, thoughts. And, you know, I have a whole process about this where I try to make sure I jot down bullet points of the next chapter when I'm done writing something so that when I jump back in, I'm ready to just look at those bullet points and go. Mm-hmm. But the point is, like, always be ready to just go because, like, maybe I'm on the train for 20 minutes on the way to work and I can bust out my computer and write for 20 minutes. And that might be all I get that day, but I, I got to make sure I get that or I'm going to get nothing and then I'll be depressed, Right. Hmm. So, <laughs> but, but lately, lately my wife has been really supportive because especially when she started seeing the money. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a spouse who can be supportive without seeing the money, that's awesome because that'll help you get to the money sooner. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what she's been doing is I'll wake up with the kids at five or five thirty or six or whatever and play with them until about nine. And then she'll wake up and give me like two hours to go. Right. 
because, you know, I let her sleep. She'll let me write. <laughs> so then I'll do that on like Saturdays or Sundays and try to get in like an extra four hours on the weekend like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the afternoon when, when my son's napping, uh, my wife will take my daughter for a walk while I get like another half hour to an hour in. So it's about finding these little mo- moments in time when you can, right? And, and part of that's because her aunt's visiting right now, so she's able to do that. And when she leaves, it might just be back to those riding sprints on the train or whenever the heck I can. But uh, it's really just about finding the time and hoping that you have a supportive uh, person in your life. Did you have to train yourself to do the writing sprints or did you just say, I, I, I have, there's no other way to do it. I'm just going to start doing writing sprints and it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. It was it, a little bit of both. Um, more the latter, but I would say that my writing process over time had evolved into training myself without thinking of it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I first started writing, you know, I just picked up a page and started going because I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to figure out how to write and wrote 120,000 words in my fantasy book and was like, this is awesome. And then set it aside for like six years, you know, going back to it here and there to revise when I was mm-hmm. learning new things but mm-hmm. and writing new books along the way. Uh, and through that process of writing the new books, I realized, well, through revision, revising that book, which was a horrible process, <laughs> I learned that if I set things up early, you know, the revision is not so tough. If I do outlining, then when I write, it's not so all over the place. And then when I revise, it's not so crazy, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good lesson for everybody, in my opinion. And and when I say outlining, I mean like a page or two of bullet points for a whole book. Uh, I know some people do 15 or 16 pages of yeah. outlines, and I just I can't do that. So it's like whatever works for you, right? Um, and then, And then so – Throughout that process, I've started just more and more adapting to where uh, I do kind of outline the next chapter because I, I don't really know what's going to happen until I've written the chapter previous because things just pop up. So I have my original outline and then I'm like, well, those bullet points don't work anymore. I'll throw those out and just jot down some new ideas. Or at the end of, like I was mentioning, at the end of a chapter or if I'm on the train and I just wrote for 20 minutes right before the train lets me off, I'll just do like two or three bullet points of like, okay, now this happens, this happens, this happens for what I'm going to have to jump into next Okay. so that it's you're ready to roll. And definitely a learning process, but uh, I think a very valuable one that you should focus on if you're like me and don't have time. Okay, so you're, you're still married. You still have kids. You probably still have some credit card debt, so it, you're not independently wealthy yet. When you, when you make decisions on how much to spend for cover, how much to spend for an editor, what goes into that decision-making process for you? Yeah, I have some certain levels that I like, can't feel comfortable spending on my own, and my wife, I'm sure, would give me a hard time too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so we're making good money now, but it's all going to paying off debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's, it's ridiculous because you'll tell some people like how much we're making – and their eyes are like wide, but then you're like, yeah, but it all goes into paying bills and debt. And at the end of the month, I probably make less than my brother who's like on minimum wage driving trucks or something, you know, <laughs> or, or take home, you know, in my pocket is less than, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Yeah, the disposable yeah. part. <laughs> but, you know, in like a year or two or whenever that happens, it'll be a way better situation, of course, and when student loans are paid off and all that. Um, but, but yeah, so going into those decisions, uh, there's a lot of things I've tried, you know, like I've gone on to DeviantArt and just like scrolled through artists, emailing them and seeing what their rates are and then trying samples. Uh, we found one lady who did a first thing for me for $35 and I used it and it was cool. It's for one of my kids books. Mm-hmm. And then I tried her out for some older stuff and she actually did a good job on that too. And so I'm paying her only $100 now to do some of these uh, artworks that I'm doing and people are emailing me like, hey, did that cost like a thousand bucks? Wow. Nope. <laughs> so you found her yeah. on DeviantArt. Yeah, so I found a lot of artists on DeviantArt. We're working with one for our sci-fi series right now mm-hmm. that I'm doing with that collaboration you mentioned. And that one, um, he's a little pricier. I think he's like two or 300 which isn't horrible. You know, um, A lot of these people, if you can find them for two or 300 I think that's a steal. 
that's a great deal. You know, we are working with a guy for 350 who just does amazing artwork. Uh, I love him. But you can find very similar artists for $1,500. You know, they, they're right. not going to be that much better. Sometimes they're not better. Sometimes they might be better. That's awesome. If you can afford that, go try it. But that's just not something that we can, especially on my own books, really gamble with because we know it might do well. Like my Hounds of God book did pretty darn well, but then book two came out and not so much. <laughs> hmm. So if I had spent $1,500 on a cover for that, I would be like sad right now, right? Uh, and I actually ended up changing the cover. So maybe I would have sold a lot more. Who knows? It's like this weird thing that you're always kind of double guessing, right? You're always going back and wondering what if. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if I had spent more on that cover, awesome. Or maybe if I had spent less, I'd be in a better situation. Who knows, right? <laughs> it's, a, it, it's, it's a tough call. But I, I think it's really about finding the great deals if you can be patient enough because it's it's that patient and patience and wisdom right like that idea that you, you if you know you're going to succeed that might be true but you don't know when you're going to succeed so you kind of have to think about smart steps along the way uh and and so we've been i've been trying to set that up all along with that mindset where mm-hmm. like i need to find like a good cadre of artists that i have at my disposal who are not fifteen hundred dollars per art project or maybe they will be when everybody else finds out about them but right. they can still give me good rates for hopefully <laughs> well let's talk uh, about yeah. this new collaboration you're doing because uh, just so people know we're talking it's early morning on a saturday for you you've got um a house full of visiting kids plus your own kids and they're all waiting to go somewhere so <laughs> i, I, I want to honor your time so let's talk about the uh that collaboration that you're working on now so what's what's yeah. the story behind that and why did you decide to do it uh, let's see. So basically I looked at what Michael was doing. Right. And, uh, so Michael Anderley is bringing, brought on now, I don't know how many authors, a lot, uh, of authors <laughs> to, to kind of write uh, under him slash with him. Mm-hmm. So, so the authors do a lot of the work and he does some editing and some, some work, some writing and then promotes it and gets it out to his crowd. And that's where the value comes from. Mm-hmm. And so I have two buddies. One was a Marine, like I was, and uh, or am, because once a Marine, always a Marine, right? Absolutely. And the other we have guy two kids is, uh, that are Marines. <laughs> nice, awesome. Uh, yeah. So the other guy is a Hollywood guy, and, and so they were already working on some Hollywood stuff together. And uh, the the Marine buddy introduced us, and they were like, "Well, can we write anything?" And I was like, "Listen, I don't have time to write anything because if I don't write one book with Anderley uh, when I could, that's money out of my pocket, you know." But um, we could do something similar to what I'm doing with Anderley, where I, w- I would kind of market, I would help shape it and write some scenes and, and try that. So that's what we're doing, basically. They're they're doing most of the writing. They're already on book three of that. Oh, really? And then I'll go through. Yeah, yeah. So we're moving fast. <laughs> that just started like two months ago, too. So they're kicking butt. They're they're excited about this idea. So Have we're, you we're released very any of them yet? No. The first one, I think, we're hoping to release, well... We were hoping for May 22nd, but the cover hasn't come through yet. So that's a big lesson learned, too. Like if you're ever thinking about going full time, try to get a bunch of covers lined up right away because Mm -hmm. you don't want to be waiting on your monthly income for a cover artist (laughs) to come through. All right. So Uh, you've released a lot of books, and I'm assuming you're applying that knowledge to the release schedule for this new project. So what what is the release schedule for the new project? Is it like, you know, a a set amount of time between releases since a couple of them are already done? Yeah, we're trying to go no more than a month. Okay. Um, And why? Because of the, 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 what do you call it, the window? So Mm -hmm. basically what I've seen with Anderley's books is – I'll publish a book, and then 18 days later, it kind of isn't as hot as it was, right? So if I could, instead of publish my second book within that 18-day window, that would have 
you know, got that second book promoted, but also that will help boost up that first one. So now it's higher in the rankings and has more exposure. And if I can get a third book within that 18 days also, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I'm actually doing now, which is crazy, I don't know if it's, I mean, if I don't know if, if like multiple series are going to really do the same thing or not, probably not to the same degree. But what we're doing is I'm going to have my Anderley Fantasy book come out, uh, Shades of Light. Pretty which is a about brand that. new series for you. Brand new series. Oh, well, it's a brand new sub-series of The Age of Magic, which... Uh, CM Raymond and Lee Barbant started okay. under Andalay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's all these crazy, crazy things going on, right? <laughs> uh, so that that one will come out, and then I'm hoping that this Syndicate Wars, the sci-fi one, will come out like a week or two later. And then I'm hoping that those Syndicate Wars can be every three weeks to a month at most. And then my fantasy book can be once a month. And then my other, my Reclaiming Honor book, Five, which is my other Andalay series, the post-apocalyptic one, that one could hopefully come out like a month at most after my fantasy one does. And so, so I'll always have a book every two weeks at a minimum, uh, maybe even faster if possible. For, and I kind of have it lined up where that would happen through the summer, I think. So for the next like four months or so. You know, I, I feel <laughs> bad that, that we're talking because in this hour, I feel like you could have published a book. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, let, let me yeah. ask you two more <laughs> questions, and then I'll let you get on with your, uh, with your weekend. You've kind of described how you carve out time to do the writing. How do you carve out time to do the marketing and the other business parts, you know, the relationship building and the other things that you do for your author business? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the easy part. Um, going back a step, though, I wanted to say about editing, too. Okay. Like, I, I found that there's, there's different ways you can find editors, too. Like I found a really great one in England who doesn't charge a lot. And so so what I've done to speed up this process because, you know, like if we don't have a lot of time, it's hard to write a 60,000 word book and then go through and revise and revise and revise and revise. But if you have people along the way who you can pay to help you through that process, so I'll pay her to edit with quotation marks around that. And what I mean by that is all, it's not just really editing. It's like, I want you to highlight any areas that feel totally weird. Like I rushed them or where the five senses aren't showing enough. Uh, so it's not a copy edit. It's a, whatever you call that kind of edit, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, content edit or a story edit. Yeah. Yeah, and and not so much focusing on the story because I feel like that's solid, but definitely, yeah, the, the story edit in the sense of where does it feel like the five senses aren't strong enough? Where does it feel – because I tend to rush. I, I like the action. I go action, action, mm-hmm. action. Where do I need more introspection moments where the character opens up about themselves, you know, the campfire <laughs> moments? Uh, and that helps speed things along because I don't have to find those for myself later. I can just go see and, go through and see where she tagged that and go, okay, good. Okay, I'll write this kind of scene right there. And, or sometimes I'm just like, no, I don't, I don't agree, and I'll you know move on. But it's great to have like – three or four people that you can get lined up like that. And maybe they're friends, maybe they're beta readers. I have a, uh, a reader who loved my false redemption series and now is like hooked on anything I'll do, which is awesome. Yes. And she'll totally like jump on it. And within a day, she'll come back to me with comments every time. Awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Michael has like a thousand of these. And so it's, <laughs> it's great <laughs> if you can find those kind of people and it takes time, of course. So it's like, like I said, patience and wisdom, you know, being patient and being wise to be enough to be patient. <laughs> uh, so, so to go to your question, which was what again? <laughs> How do you find or where where do you where do you put in the the marketing the business aspects of, oh, yes, of being yes. a writer where do you where do you carve out time for that Yeah so, so that's always been I think that's that's more of my easy part you know okay. that's like the the part that I like that I get distracted with when I should be writing I might be networking or doing something else instead and I'm I wrote an article at military.com that I like a lot because it's it's all about like how in today's age we don't have to spend time on the networking, it, it can be done real fast because we're all on the internet, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's that idea that I can just go on there and chat with people. I can I can start a podcast and bring them on for half an hour, um, and that's a 
you know, you're promoting their book. That's awesome. But you also get to chat with each other for half an hour. And so a bond for life has been formed after that. And, uh, <laughs> it, it, it is absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, of amazing. Yeah. And if you have yeah. a podcast, you can reach out to anybody. Yeah. Or like I've used my video game. I've leveraged my video game stuff to try to get into writers conferences. You know, mm-hmm. like as a novelist, I wasn't at the point where they would have been like, yeah. Or as a screenwriter at the Austin Film Festival, which is like the top screenwriting film festival. I haven't been that successful there, but they brought me on as a panelist because I had written on the Game of Thrones video game. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that's cool. We'll do a video game track. And then so now I'm at this, the table with all these people who've written like Star Wars movies and other big properties. Wow. And I, I'm just in the the Mary Poppins movie, forgetting Mr. Finding Mr. Banks, you know, like the director mm-hmm. of that was sitting at this table and we're just chatting. And like I wouldn't have been at that level if I didn't have all these other networking opportunities that I tried to leverage. So it's sometimes it's thinking outside the box and like what could I bring to the table to this group of of you know, networkers, or novelists, or screenwriters, or what have you, that is kind of outside of their comfort bubble that they'd be interested in learning about. Okay, uh, let's, let's let's wrap it up because I, I promised you we'd keep this short, and we've already gone over what I what I had targeted right. for this for, uh, in, in terms of taking your time. What advice do you have out there for the man or woman who is um, one specific piece of advice who's struggling with time and money and energy? To, to get the writing going, to get their writing career going? What, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to that man or woman today? Uh, surround yourself with a network of people who are like you, you know, positive people who want to see you succeed, but also can give you good advice. Like, that's why everybody loves the 20 books to 50K group, mm-hmm. because that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're helping each other out. We're giving support. And then small subgroups have been formed out of that. And there's been anthologies formed out of that. And so if you can find all these different ways to leverage your your networking, leverage your writing to get to the next level of your craft, but as well as your marketing. Like, you know, it's not it doesn't have to be thought of as a business. It should just be fun where you're just chatting with people and having a good time and learning as you go. Um, so really just finding that that what do you call it? That that clique, the click or whatever. Yeah, the, uh, the click, yeah. <laughs> finding your posse. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you can find that and then everything will kind of come out of that naturally instead of you like for for two years before that i was always kind of just you know out there googling looking at keyboards and you feel like you're kind of just scratching the walls trying to get through that wall but it's never moving because your fingernails are not that strong but once you find some people with hammers and they're all hammering together (laughs) yeah stupid or whatever yeah no great that's great (laughs) great piece of advice justin what's the best place for people to find you online i can hear little kids voices in the background so i know they're They're starting to surround you and tug at your clothes (laughs) (laughs) what's the best place um, for people to find you yeah so i'm on twitter uh at justin m sloan on their Facebook also. Facebook is Justin Sloan Author. Uh, I did the Twitter thing before I knew what my author name and all that was going to be, so that's why I have the middle initial in there. But JustinSloanAuthor.com is my website. And so, yeah, all of those, Facebook, website. Um, email is fine, too. JustinSloanAuthor at gmail.com. I'm happy to email chat. Sometimes I don't get back to people, and it's more because finally I'm at that point where we all strive to be where you're like just so busy that your brain shuts down and you forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll definitely like if people email me or whatever, I'll try to respond. Uh, the, the key is like going back to your advice question real fast. Like don't just email people asking for things all the time. That sucks. Like when you're networking, email and try to form a bond. Like, hey, I saw you into the UCLA program for screenwriting. Me too. And now we're both novelists. That's really cool. How did that happen for you? Or even simpler than that, I'm thinking about going to that program. Can you give me any thoughts or advice? Real quick, maybe over the phone, maybe email, whatever. Like doing it in a way where it's not like, hey, I have this book. Will you read it? Or hey. Uh, I, I think I got one the other day. I forget what it said exactly, but it's, it's very much just like, hey, I see that you've done all this cool stuff. Tell me how to succeed. And I'm like, dude, dude, I don't have time to like look over all your stuff and figure you out. 
you know, so if you can find some way to connect with people and just start those those relationships and not feel like you're trying to sell them or steal from them, <laughs> uh, that's great. So if you email me, I'm definitely going to be more happy to respond if it's just like a simple thing. And then we can, you know, like this guy, Luke T. Bar- Bar- oh, sorry, I forgot your last name. Barnett, I think it is. He wrote a cool orc book recently, but uh, and we helped promote him and we're like still like, giving him advice. And that all just started because he was a cool guy. He reached out and he said, hey, I like your podcast. Uh, I have this book. Here's the cover. Do you think it's a cool cover? And we just give him advice. And then he comes back like a month later, like, hey, what about this? Do you think I'm doing this right? You know, like little things that aren't too much in your face, Mm -hmm. but help. Yeah, it's amazing how you can form relationships that way. A lot of great advice today, Justin. Thank you so much for taking time out of a Saturday morning to be with us. Uh, And thank you all for listening out there. As always, we'll have show notes with links to... Justin mentioned a lot, so I'm not going to say everything we (laughs) mentioned, but most of the things we mentioned at theauthorbiz.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Awesome. Thank you, Steve.